Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Good morning and welcome. Glad you're here. Glad those of you on the stream are with us. We have been walking through a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a culture that was very difficult, even you could say anti-Christian. And this letter is called 1 Corinthians, and it's a letter to the church that seems as relevant today as it did 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, if you've got your phone or an iPad or a computer or however you may be streaming this, there's a way to get a copy of it open. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Doug Hankins, one of our pastors, spoke last week, and he gave us a little report on Asbury and talked about what was happening there, and he, and he, and he used 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the last part, to kind of anchor it, and, and he talked about how we're all building on a foundation, and that foundation has to be Christ, because if it's not Jesus Christ, it won't last, and there are going to be tests that come, there are going to be issues that come, so you will know whether or not uh, your foundation is going to last simply because of the, the nature of life. Paul then goes to the next step and says, and you will be held accountable for how you built. Because every one of us have been given something. Let's start with, you've been given this day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. I mean, as simple as that. The fact you have life today. The fact that you're alive, that you got air in your lungs. That's a gift from God. Here's the question. What are you going to do with it? You will be held accountable for that. Now, for me, these days have been just incredible days watching the movement of God across our country. We heard a little bit about Asbury. We're hearing about other places where God is, is working. And how many of you had a chance to see the movie, The Jesus Revolution? Let me see your hands. Yeah, and I heard your clap. Okay, a lot of you didn't lift your hands. Let me encourage you. Go see it. If for no other reason, for historical perspective. Because the Jesus movement that started back in the late 60s and culminated perhaps in the Explo, Jesus Explo in Dallas in 1972, there's so many people who that's where they met Christ. They're leading churches today. They're on the mission field today. They're leading seminaries and teach. I mean, it's unbelievable the impact of that movement. And it gives you a little bit of perspective, Okay. If for no other reason, can we just send a message to Hollywood? We like good stuff when you put it out, so we're going to buy the tickets, okay? And somehow we got to get the message, and there's one thing they hear, and that's money. And that's about it. So go buy a ticket even if you don't go, all right? Now, I saw in that some similarity, and I'm not the only one, similarities of what's happening today. There's a lot of stuff happening. God is stirring. God is moving. Did you know that from 1972 to today, we are in the 50th year? In the Bible, there is the Jubilee year. It's the 50th year. And there's been a lot of just 
people I respect that have been writing, what if for us God wants to bring about that jubilee year like He did in the Old Testament, and that is with restoration, with renewal, with another outpouring of the goodness and the blessings of God. What if God is doing that? I hope He is. I prayed with Rachel this morning before I left, and I just said, God, I just pray, we both prayed that your spirit will move today and there will be a sense of revival. But I can tell you that I, you're going to hear me say today, one of, the, one of the things we've got to battle is tradition. We've got to battle tradition. We've got to battle this idea, well, we don't do it that way. Or that's never happened before. Man, I would love for us to see something that has never happened before, wouldn't you? I mean, just the idea that God wants to break in. So let me just tell you now, and I'll re reinforce it later. <clears throat> At any point in this service, you feel led to come to this altar? Come. Amen. You want to get on your face at this altar? Come. There should be nothing going on in this room that would limit you from doing something that you know God is calling you to do and is definitely permissible according to His Word. Be willing to do whatever God says. And that's when God begins to move. That's when we see the hand of God. So in this chapter, we're in chapter 4. Here is the essence. <clears throat> we're going to put it up on the screen. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. In other words, every one of us one day will give an account. We, we're going to stand before him. And the issue, have we been faithful? Have we been faithful with our family, with our business, with our life? I mean, with our resources, everything. You, you can wrap it all into that. But what he's going to zero in on, we're stewards of the gospel. We're stewards of a movement of God. We're stewards of something God has done. And what are we doing with it? So in order to help us, Paul moves to an idea that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of us don't like. Accountability. Accountability. It just seems like this nation really has an issue with accountability. They don't like it in Washington. They don't like it in our, my neighborhood. In other words, we like to be able to blame others. We like to be able to do whatever we want and never be held accountable. You realize there will be no civil order when we lose accountability. When even in the home, there's no accountability. That's part of the breakdown of the home even today. When there's no accountability in the church. And what he's saying, what Paul is saying to them is, guys... You've got to be accountable. And I'm going to show you the four, four things he says about accountability, just so you know where this chapter is going to take us. Accountability fosters faithfulness. You want to be faithful? Learn to be accountable. Submit yourself to him and know that you're going to be held accountable by him, and it changes the way you live. Accountability reveals reality. When someone, when God is holding you accountable and God's spirit is moving, he will show you reality. You may think all is good, but maybe it's not. Accountability requires relationship. Those that we are most accountable to are those we know love us. Can I just tell you, there's nobody who loves you more than him. And the one I would want to give my life to and be accountable to more than any others is God himself. And the last, accountability produces power. 
doesn't matter what we say, it's how we live. And Paul's going to address that. So we're going to move through it little by little. So you got your Bible open. I want you to start with me in verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. He uses two words. Go back to the text. Steward and the word servant. Now, the second time, steward, it's the same word, but that first word is servant. This very interesting word, <clears throat> this word, we will be servants. We are servants of Christ. That word is not the normal word, doulos in Greek for servant. It's the word where an ambassador or a representative of him. So I want you to imagine the accountability going like this. When you stand before Jesus, Will he say, great job representing me? You did just what I would do. Or will he go, who in the world were you? Now just think about it. Accountability. Parents, do you expect your children to live up to a little bit of a family standard? I know Rachel and I tell our kids sometimes, hey, act like you belong to somebody. Come on. Why? We, we want them to be consistent with who we are. Early on, as I was pastoring and kids were coming along, I wanted to create a sign, hang around their neck, the child's rep the, the expression or views of this child do not necessarily represent those of his father and mother. <laughs> as you know, we all struggle with that. So there's a sense in which we're representing him to a world that desperately needs to see him. And sometimes I have to believe the reason the world's view of Jesus is so messed up is because the church's view of Jesus is so messed up. Second word, steward. You know what that means? It's come, built on the word house in Greek, oikos. It means somebody who's stewarding or managing a house. Not owning, managing. And I just think we have something to manage. It's called a mystery. The mysteries of God. And when Paul uses that word mystery, the Greeks perked up because they like mysteries. That's why they called the mystery religions. That was their Greek culture. Mystery for Paul means the gospel. So in other words, we have something called the story of Jesus dying on a cross, God changing our life. And what we do with that, we will be held accountable. So we need to be faithful with that. And how do you be faithful with that? Well, this is what he goes on to say. We're going to move to the next verse. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. <clears throat> In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not, I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So can I just say that, yes, accountability fosters faithfulness, but accountability, accountability to him. Quit allowing people to play God in your life. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they say. Paul says, hey, I know where my accountability is. It's to God. And we let the expressions of others, the opinions of others, and the comments made by others just jack us all up. Guys, don't worry about them. You be concerned that you're doing what he 
wants you to do. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I don't even judge myself. What does that mean? I'm not even sure I am adequate to understand, but I want to get it right by him. Next thing, you ever seen a video? You ever watched an Instagram reel? And they keep flashing this, wait for it. Wait for it. You know, TikTok or whatever. I admit, I was a sucker. And I thought, oh, what's coming? What's coming? Now, sometimes it's quite a shock and it's funny. Sometimes it's like, you got to be kidding me. I waited for that. I watched this stupid video for that. This is God's way of saying, wait for it. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and he will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In other words, don't judge yet. He's not through. Quit giving up on yourself. Quit believing that you've messed up and you've, you've failed God. And man, you're just, there's no way that you can ever be found faithful. Yes, there is. And what he's calling us to is to stop giving up on us and stop giving up on other people. I'm a living testimony of parents who never gave up on me. Had they? I don't know where I'd be. And I want to encourage you, if you've got someone in your life that you're so frustrated with them, you're just at the end of your rope with them, please don't give up. Remember the line, wait for it. God's still working, and he's still working on you. Paul said it. And then he says, this is the fun part, we are going to be held accountable for what God said. Not what they said, or not what we said. Now, let me explain that. There were people there who were going beyond what was written. And they were making up all this stuff in their application and interpretation. And they were holding people accountable to stuff that God never said. So this is how Paul warns him, and this is what he said. Verse 6, I've applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what was written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? So what does he say? What's that about? To be honest, it's one of the most refreshing parts of this for me. Because what I hear Paul saying is the reason there's a lot of division and the reason some of you are arrogant and puffed up is you think you have more truth than the next guy. You think God has given you something, but all you have is something beyond the words. What does he mean beyond the words? Beyond the words means I go from this and then I apply it or I interpret it in a way that equally to the Scripture, my interpretation is just as holy as the Bible. No, it isn't. Stop it. This is His Word. Quit forcing people to go beyond the Word with what you think is the interpretation. Because when you do, you falsely elevate yourself. You create division. You're puffed up. So in Paul's world, what, what did he mean, the word? 
I think he meant the Old Testament. Most commentators would tell you the Old Testament, they had it. Paul quoted it from the Septuagint. That's just the Greek version of the Old Testament. And I think it was the teaching of Jesus. They had the teaching of Jesus. And I think what Paul was trying to say is be careful. You take the teaching of Jesus and then you begin to elaborate and go beyond what he said. And you create tradition. And it's not a problem that we apply Scripture. It's not a problem that we interpret. My goodness, we have to. The problem comes when we love our interpretation more than we love the Scripture itself. And so he's saying, don't do it. I can tell you in my period of time as a pastor, the mistake I've seen in most denominations and in movements is that a pendulum will always swing too far. In other words, a pendulum will come back to where we believe the Scripture and we believe it's inerrant and we, ha- we believe the authority of it, which we do. But then somehow the pendulum keeps going. Well, now you got to do church like us. And if you don't do church like us, you're wrong. You're, you're disappointing God. And if you don't believe me, just go check out the videos that are out there that are blasting churches because they don't do church like somebody else does. Can I just tell the people of God, stop going beyond the Word of God. The Word of God is where we stand. We apply it as best we understand, but I'm not going to codify and make my application Holy Scripture. There is only one. It's in the book we hold called the Bible. Amen. This is it. 66 books. And we believe that this is the Word. So therefore, stay in the Word. Now, as you apply it, that's great. Even the rabbis, they even wrote all kinds of commentary around the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and that was all of a sudden collected, and it's called the Mishnah. And it was a powerful source of teaching. But Paul knows what happens when you start elevating tradition alongside of the Word. Tradition is helpful. Tradition is appropriate. Tradition is not equal to Scripture. Let me explain. I had a church, I have more than one, not, thankfully not this church. I've had churches look me in the eye and tell me, you know what, Pastor, it, we don't, it's okay. We don't care what the Bible says. It's just our tradition. We do it this way. Hmm. So what I just heard is, You have elevated the tradition of this church right alongside the Scripture. Mm, I think we have a problem. Yeah. And Paul says, that's exactly what's happened. You've gone beyond the Word. It's okay to hold tradition, but hold it loosely because it's not equal to this book. In fact, let me tell you what tradition does. Tradition, Tradition stops the revivals that God wants to bring. Let me show you how it works. God begins to move, and all of a sudden something happens that's never happened before, and you got thinking, well, you know, we've never done it that way. I'm not sure that, that I don't think that's okay. I remember the first time Adam Borland danced, and I cannot tell you the number of people that came to me and go, is that legal here? Is it, is it okay? I remember the first time somebody came and, and, and spoke in another tongue. Oh, my goodness, is that what... Well, I mean, Scripture talks about it, but it's to be done in an orderly way. And so there's a way we can make sure that it's done in an orderly way. But let me tell you something. I've prayed all my life 
my goal in my life is not to be Baptist. It's to be biblical in everything I do. There are a lot of churches that may not do it the way a church does it, but it's okay. If they are following what they believe he has told them to do, we honor that. We just have to be careful not to go beyond what is written. Listen to this quote from Richard uh, Owen Roberts. He's a, he, Richard Owen Roberts is kind of one of those guys that when you hear him and see him, you never forget him. He studies revivals. That's all he does is he studies the history of revivals and movements of God. He once told us he had not, I don't know if this has changed. He once told us he doesn't read any books written since 1900 because he wants to be anchored in the historical movements of God and so forth. I want you to listen to this quote. This is crazy. God is no traditionalist. While God is orderly, he's always fresh and vital. Is it any wonder the love of tradition is an enemy of revival? Revival and new life go hand in hand. Let every church realize that the inordinate love of tradition is a great opponent to revival. When a church slays the love of tradition, major obstacle to revival will be slain with it. That's fascinating to me. So what it's telling me is be careful that we're not limiting God by things that are beyond his word that we think are so important and you can't do. I really believe that what has happened in our country right now is that Asbury and other places have taken the limitations and the traditions and they've opened up a way for God to move. And I want to encourage you, do the same in your life. If God speaks to you, if God stirs in you, if God impresses upon you something to do, as long as you know it is very much in keeping with what the Word says, do it. He said, but David, I've never done it. It doesn't matter. Do it. Because I just think one day we'll be accountable for those moments when God spoke and we did nothing. Accountability fosters faithfulness. The second thing, it reveals reality. When we're accountable to someone, we don't look as good as we thought we were. In other words, somebody points out things, we're like, oh, okay. We did some evaluations here. I did a 360 evaluation, which basically I had the people around me to evaluate me. And you don't know who said what or whatever. And then I sat down with the company that did it and listened to the critique. Do you think that was fun? I'm like, no, wait a minute. Who is that? Who said that? (laughs) Nobody likes that. But man, all of a sudden, it opens our eyes to some blind spots we had that we didn't know. Listen to what Paul says. This is the next part. Already, verse 8, you have all you want. You've become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, 
We hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, when you read that, it's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Because Paul is describing himself and his apostle friends in a very different way than he's talking about them. Exactly. What he's trying to do is with sarcasm and irony to reveal to them that you're not where you think you are. In your mind, you're kings. In your mind, you have everything you want. In your mind, you've already arrived. And Paul is saying, no. The call of Christ is that we take up a cross, that we suffer with him. And he says, we're homeless. I mean, he points out all the things that, that they've gone through. And so for most scholars, I mean, the one that I, I leaned into the most, to be quite honest, is a man named Gordon Fee. He went to be with Jesus just recently. He is a Pentecostal New Testament scholar, which is almost a paradox. But anyway, he is so committed to the Spirit and the working of the Spirit. But he also is committed to the Word. And when he got to this place, he said, this is where Paul is showing them who they have become, and it's not who they are supposed to be. Yes, one day we will reign. One day there will be no suffering. But today, as apostles, we suffer, we're homeless, we're broken. And it's as if Paul is reminding him, remember what I said to you, I came to know among you, I wanted to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. What did Jesus say when he called disciples? If any man would come after me, let him take up his Lexus and come. No, let him take up his cross, deny himself. And follow me. And so there's this call of the Apostle Paul saying, hey, look at yourself. You're not where you think you are. And look at where we are. So for me, I just think accountability opens our eyes to reality and helps us to realize we're not as good. Can I just give you a personal example? When I was playing football, we, um, every game was filmed from different angles. And they used the video. We called it the eye in the sky. And we also said the eye in the sky don't lie. So they would use a video of our games and grade us. I remember one particular game. I thought I'd had a really good game. I didn't miss a single block. I opened up holes for running backs. I mean, I just had a great game. And on Mondays, you'd walk down to the field house. And outside the field house would be the names of the starters and the grade that they got. I'm walking down there with cocky attitude like, oh man, wonder what mine is. F. F. I stood there and looked at it. I, well, that's a mistake. They got it in front of my name and it was supposed to be this, this. F. I remember going in and saying, coach, what happened? He said, I was going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> He said, have you seen the video? Have you watched any of the film? I said, no, we'll watch it. He would watch it with everybody in the room. And he'd go, watch youth on this one. Let me tell you, I saw the film. It was not good. 
But see, I thought I was fine. I thought I was the reason we won that game. Oh, my goodness. Accountability just reveals reality. And I just think sometimes we've got to listen. And, and by the way, the call to follow Christ today is a call to die to yourself. It's a call to take up your cross. It hadn't changed. And sometimes there's this attitude of, well, I'm going to follow Christ of what's in it for me. Let, me. let me quote Paul Washer. I know he's hard. He's harsh. But listen to this quote. If you want to follow Jesus because he'll give you a better life, that's idolatry. Follow Christ for the sake of Christ. He is worthy. And I think sometimes we forget. Matt Chandler, some of you know Matt, the village. He said, we carry an insidious prosperity gospel around in our dark little entitled hearts. <laughs> the point is, we sometimes forget who we are, but accountability reminds us we're not there yet. Be humble. And then the, the last one is, accountability requires relationship. You know who you're the most accountable to? people that you trust, people that love you. I, every evaluation that I've ever had to endure, and I want to know, well, who said that, you know? Are, are they a friend? Are they enemy? Or who are they, you know? Why? Because people that I know love me, I get a better evaluation, truthfully, than somebody who has an edge or somebody has something to prove. Listen to what Paul says. He says, you don't need more guides. you got enough guides you got all the social media you need. You need a father. You need somebody who loves you and can show you the way. Read with me. Verse 14. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then, be an imitator of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church, some are arrogant as though I were never coming to you again. Now, what is that about? To me, it's about the call of every church to have accountability that built, is built on relationships. Do you know the one who loves you the most today? You know who that is? It's not the one sitting by you. Your wife, your husband, they love you. And I'm, I mean, that's great. Your creator is the one who loves you the most. So accountability from him matters. Our problem is we let people evaluate us and speak into our life and jack us up that don't even know us. We read something that somebody posted. We hear something that somebody said, and we let social media have such an effect in us. And remember, we don't know them, and they don't know us. The one who knows you most is the Lord himself. And Paul says, I want to be like a father to you, and I want you to imitate me. Now, some people think Paul was being arrogant. He wanted people to imitate him. Why would he say that? Well, that's what kids do. If you have a father or a father image in your life or a father type in your life, you don't mind imitating them. Why? Because you know they love you and you trust them. 
It's just the natural way it is. I remember the first time I was out mowing the grass, pushing a lawnmower, and all of a sudden I looked back, and one of my boys had a little kid's lawnmower that had bubbles coming out. You know, you put the bubble stuff, and he was right behind me. I didn't tell him to mow the yard. If I'd known that, I'd give him a real lawnmower. Come on, man, I could use some help. They do what we do. How many of you have ever had one of your kids say a bad word that they heard you say? And it hits you, and you realize, oh, my goodness. You know why they imitate you? Because they love you and they know you love them. Paul's saying what the church needs more of is not voices. The word literally for guides, he says, though you have countless guides, you don't have many fathers. The word countless, literally thousands. How many voices you think you've got, including social media? How many voices speaking in your life? They're everywhere. But Paul is saying what you really need is a father, spiritually, that loves you. And when you have that, you will follow them. Our goal as the church is not just give you information. Our goal is to help give you something to imitate. Our goal is not just information, but it's transformation. And that doesn't happen through people who don't know one another. It happens when you it happens when you know and you trust. That's why we talk about groups. That's why we encourage people to get in a small group because that connection makes the difference. Paul actually ends the chapter by saying, hey, I don't really care about their words. I want to know is there power in their life? Is there power in their life? You know, I'm just going to tell you what is a filter for me. I hear a podcast. I'm listening to a new one now. I don't really listen very well until I know about the person. I read a book. I don't really read it very well until I know about the person because here's what I've found out. I know people who can stand on this platform or who can podcast an incredible podcast or they can write incredible books and they don't know how to love their wife and they don't know how to take care of their kids and they don't live a life that looks like Jesus every day of the week. I want to know, is there power in their life? Do I see evidence of the Lord? And if I do, I listen a lot more. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, church at Corinth, I want to come to you as a father. And I want you to know I am for you. So let me end where I started. What was the big idea? What was the main thing? As stewards, we need to be found faithful. So let me ask you a question. If you had to stand before him today, would he find you faithful? If you stood before him today, how are you doing? What would he say? I want us to bow together for just a moment. As you bow your head, it's silly for me to point and say, well, I know for you it might not be good, or for you it might be great. That is nonsense. I just know when it comes to moments like these, you are the only one who really knows what Jesus knows. And Paul said, I'm not going to be judged by others, but I'm going to be judged by him. So how does the Lord find you today? Does he find you faithful? Lord, I just, I just want to pray a prayer over all of us. 
We've been given 66 books that we believe are from your heart and your hand. And you've given us so much to know and so much instruction and wisdom. But Lord, we let the world tell us otherwise. We let the world convince us of things that are not the truth. God, today, can we just be honest with you? We got too many gods and we don't have enough fathers. First of all, would you be our father today? God, you know the ones who've never put their faith in you. They've never trusted you. That's the only way you will be a father is through faith. And Lord, you know those of us that have known you. But we haven't met a father to somebody. Help us to be worth imitating, to live a life that is worth following. So Lord, we just want to be faithful. When that day comes, help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hey, this morning, if you've never put your faith in him, you've never believed in his name, the Bible says that's when we're born again. That's when you become a child and he becomes your father. And the simple way to do that is through faith. And we want to help you take that step. If you're on the stream, you can reach out to us. Text us the word connect to 40777. If you're in the room, you can do that as well. Or you can stop by one of the places out in the lobby. There are people there ready to have that conversation. Because the greatest thing you'll ever know is when he becomes your father. And of all the gods you could ever have, hey, they all pale in comparison to him because he is your father. He loves you. And you pray that we will, as a church, find people who are willing to be a spiritual father, to help somebody else, to disciple someone. Now, it can happen in here. It can happen in life groups, but it doesn't always happen. A lot of it is about information, but we really want it to be about transformation. Let me just say, if you'd be willing to help somebody, to, to maybe get to know someone and help them like a father helping a child, would you let us know? Because there are places for you you can serve and do just that. Maybe you're the other side. You want somebody pouring into your life. You want somebody leading you. Either way, reach out to us. Use the word connect, 4077, and there will be a conversation that you can explain. I just want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for listening. And most of all, thank God for his word. And my prayer is I'll never go beyond his word, but I'll stand squarely on his word because his word will change our life. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.